Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and today you're going to get a sneak peek behind the scenes at what it's like to be an author. You're going to hear the backstory behind the book. They'll tell you who or what inspires them. You may even find out where their ideas come from. And who knows, you might even get a scoop about a new project. If you want to know more about them and more about their work, then we'll tell you where to find them on social media. Joining me today is D.B. Evans, and he's here to talk about his book, The Sin Paradox, The Case Against Adam, Eve, and the Serpent. D.B. Evans has an eclectic background. He's a minister, an author, a theologian, a lecturer, a magician, and a performer. He has a bachelor's degree in theology and a master's in ministry from Freedom Bible College and Seminary. He's studied writing in a variety of styles and formats, and he's written many essays and theses on a wide range of theological topics. He's also an Eagle Scout and a lifetime member of the National Eagle Scout Association. He's been performing magic for over 30 years, and he's a member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians as well as the Society of American Magicians. He uses these performance elements as visual aids to teach different points of scripture and faith. With a fondness for the performing arts, he's been seen on stage, screen, and television, at times performing in plays that he's written for local venues. Teaching the scriptures and spreading the gospel has always been a life goal. D.B., welcome. Thank you. This book is so interesting. I'm always curious. There's always two stories from a book. The first story is the the story that the book tells, that the reader gets. But there's always a second story. There's always a story behind the book. How did this book come to be? Well, when I was attending Bible college, uh, late one night I was sitting on my bed. My wife was next to me. I think she was flipping through a magazine at the time. It was about 10 p.m. And I was working on a a theory or a thesis trying to understand what people call the Trinity, whether or not people believe it. Some do, some don't wasn't the point. It was just, I was trying to understand it and see how deep it went and get a deeper concept of it in the middle of it. I came up with something that didn't work. It didn't fit. I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. And as I sat back and tried to understand it more and more, a word kind of whispered to my mind, to my soul, to my spirit, And that one word, I sat back, thought for a moment, turned to my wife and said, you can go to sleep now. I have some work to do. And I started typing on my laptop. And about 1, 1 1.30 in the morning, I sat back with a bit of an electric chill through me. The feeling was somewhat electric. As I realized I had the outline for this book, I found that the answer that I came up with, that one whispered word, connected everything from Adam and Eve in the garden right on through the crucifixion and resurrection. It explained debt. It explained wars. It explained Adam. It explained the Passover. It explained how Jesus died, why he died that way, why the Last Supper went that way, how and why the Israelites were cast out of 
the land twice, once under the Babylonians, the second time under the Romans. They, all through these things, these, these events in biblical history, suddenly became connected with a single thread through a single word. And I found that that single thread and word continues to this day on an unbelievable level. And I fear that one day we may be kicked out of the land, as it were, as it happened all those other times. This was true inspiration for you, wasn't it? This was true inspiration. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And this happened around 2010. And it took me nine years to compile the evidence because it's one thing to have an idea. And the other is to, uh, how would we say, bring it to fruition, to uh, find the evidence that supported that idea. And over and over, I would hear the different ministers and preachers, even rabbis would be giving their homilies and sermons. And I'd hear it. I'd I would turn to my wife and goes, there's original sin. There it is again. There it is again. And it kept coming up, but nobody noticed it, what this event was. Because we all have the same concepts of the Bible. And if you ask somebody what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, they'll say, oh, they disobeyed God. Well, that's self-evident. They were punished, so they disobeyed. But what did they do? They ate the fruit. What kind of fruit? The knowledge of good and evil. Well, we know they got the knowledge of good and evil, but what was the fruit? It was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, we know that, but what was it? What did they do? They committed an overt act. They did something. They didn't just sort of ponder, you know, we could disobey God. No, they did something. God said, don't do it, and they did it. It's more than just an esoteric kind of lofty idea they did something so what was it they did and because it's a biblical story that can only be found in the bible and i didn't think there was any chance there would be any support for this wild idea that i had and then the evidence started mounting and mounting and mounting there's actually two books already on it with a third in production and i've got in this first book alone, the case against Adam, Eve, and the serpent, I've got over 800 biblical passages, uh, a couple dozen biblical types and patterns, including all the threads that link everything together that I mentioned earlier. And it just keeps coming. Every day I find more and more evidence, uh, enough to fulfill three books as it is now. And I've had people, I've explained it to people about it, and they, they disagree. And That's what helped generate the title, The Sin Paradox, because what a paradox is, is a tenant tenant contrary to perceived opinion or a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, and yet upon research is perhaps true. And that's exactly what this is. Once you research it, it, it could very well be true. I had one person in the discussion, because I would ask people, what's wrong with this? What, what am I, where am I going wrong? What, and they would either give me a, a positive answer or a negative answer, or they wouldn't know. Uh, some people disagreed with me flat out, which is fine. I don't mind disagreement because that's how you test a theory. You look for what's wrong with it. And if you can't find what's wrong with it, it helps prove it more. 
You don't just try to find what proves it. I turned to one person who finally said, after going through all the different people who said, oh, it's not true. Some were like, oh, yes, you're, I think you're right on it. I turned to one very good friend who was very well read. And she said, I just cannot believe it. And I said, why not? She said, I cannot believe it because it's the most horrible thing anyone. <laughs> and she stopped, turned and looked at me and said, you might be right. Wow. I smiled and nodded my head. And that's exactly it. It is the most horrible thing anyone could conceive. And it is actually repeated exactly for what it is multiple times in the Bible in, across several different books. And you can follow it right on up through uh, the Gospels that this kind of an event happens. And it continued to happen right on up through the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel around 70 A.D. It, it's a, a, an event that keeps happening. And God told the Israelites, when you sin, I will make you do this. And it's happening today, believe it or not. And people just don't see it because they never thought this deep into it. I've read, uh, biblical, I've read biblical comments by different rabbis, by different ministers, and always looking for original sin, what, what they wrote about it. And some said, well, it's an apple, or it was, it's actually pomegranates. We know it's not an apple, or maybe it was wheat, or maybe it was this. But they don't take apart the word for fruit. Well, it says it's a fruit. I've heard people recently say, well, it says it's a fruit. But the word for fruit in the Bible, which is peri, is used in many, many different ways. It's referred to as the fruit of your lands, the fruit of your herds, the fruit of your labors, the fruit of your mouth, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of uh, your efforts. Fruit is used in many, many different ways, and it's the same word. Just like I used the same word just then, fruit. The Hebrew word peri is used in those same venues. So it means more than just a piece of vegetation. Now, did you go back to original translations? How did you How did you do the yes. research? Did you go back to the original Hebrew and the original Greek? Yes, uh, the original Hebrew, because it was dealing specifically with the Old Testament. Okay. So I, I did not go into the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. I stayed with the original Hebrew versions and researched the Hebrew. I took a... a four in-depth courses on biblical Hebrew, which uh, if I were a child, I'd probably be doing it really well, but being a full-grown adult, it was real hard. <laughs> Not bad. And, and it, it's still so rudimentary to me. I, a kindergartner in Israel could do Hebrew better than I can. But I'd have to do it one letter at a time, keeping very close eye on what it is, because the characters, the Hebrew characters are so much different. But there's more to the characters. Like in English, the letter A is the letter A. The letter B is the letter B. And so on. And in Hebrew, that's not the same thing. The letter A, Aleph, can actually refer to the head and used to be symbolized by the head of a bull. And in the Paleo-Hebrew and the, so on, the letter B, the letter, the H, uh, the hay, it can symbolize to see something or a window. So the letters actually have meanings to them as well, kind of like hieroglyphs. I delve into those those aspects too of the ancient language. Well, it's all that's nuanced. That's where the key is hidden. It's all nuanced, right? Everything's nuanced. The exactly. Bible is an amazingly uh, layered 
um, I don't want to even use the word text. The, the, liter- the biblical literature is layered with different meanings and emphasis and different styles all at the same time. And it really takes some effort to study and figure out what it's saying, where it's saying. Is it talking about metaphors at that moment? Is it talking about uh, straight prose? Is it just poetry? And you have to take it apart very carefully to figure out what it's saying. Now, can you give the listeners a general overview of what you cover in the book? What did I do in the book is I'd set this up as a criminal case. I love that. There's there's three pri- or four primary sections. You have the first one, which is kind of the introduction, not including the introduction, which explains that I tend to use certain words differently than uh, most people are used to. I'll use uh, Yeshua instead of Jesus. They're interchangeable, but I tend to do it more as a, out of habit or Messiah as opposed to Christ. It's nothing... Um, against any of the English versions. It's just I've become a habit to use the Hebrew variants more often. And then the first section is, here are the characters. Here's Adam. Here's what his name is. Here's what his name means. Here's where it comes from. Here's Eve. What does her name mean? How did that come about? And then there's uh, the serpent. What does that word mean? How can you take it apart in the original letters? And, of course, the overriding player, is God. And then I get in then chapter or the second section, I rehash all that, but then I get into motives. What was God's motive behind all this? What was the Satan or the serpent's motive behind this? What was Adam and Eve's motive in all this? And I take apart their motives. I explain the, uh, some of the elements like the word, uh, for naked. Uh, we, because of our society is so driven by, um, sexuality, in a sense, that the word naked, yes, it does can mean nudity, no clothes, but it can also be referring to exposure, not just exposure to the elements, but exposure to God and exposure to God's judgment. And it's used in that venue in a couple of ways, in a couple of times throughout the Old Testament, where it's not just being naked without clothing, but it's being naked in the presence of God, that you're uh, vulnerable, exposed to his judgment, and therefore his wrath. And then uh, I would get into the overall points of what happened, what took place, that the elements of the crime, and that what their punishments were. And that's when I get into the third section of the overall case. Here's what the, here's who they are. Here were their motives. Here's what could have happened. Here is the uh, their punishments, because the, that's where the key to the whole situation becomes is their punishments. And I show how God's judgment is uh, consistent. He continually has righteous judgment. The crime must finish, fit the punishment, and vice versa. The punishment fit the crime. And so, if you look at the punishments. And you try to figure out the crime, it sounds very bizarre. And yes, it doesn't seem right. But Adam, he had to suddenly till the land for his food. He couldn't just go pick it off a tree anymore. He, Eve was, uh, her punishment was increased pain in conception and childbirth. And the serpent was then made to be upon the ground and eat the dust. 
So everybody thinks of a snake, but we're looking at it from modern Western point of view. In the Bible, the, uh, the serpent is sometimes referred to as Satan, and which is the Hebrew word for the adversary, the opponent. And Jesus refers to him that old dragon, Satan, the that ancient dragon. Dragon is the ancient term for what we now call dinosaurs. Dinosaur is just a new word that we made up. It's more scientific. But dragon was an old word that was used for those kind of creatures. So it's. And we do see dragons today, the Komodo dragon, and it crawls across its belly. It might have feet, but they're very short, almost like a, a Welsh corgi, just little short feet. And its tongue eats, licks and eats the dust. This is so fascinating. And you've found enough information that you have created what you're calling a paradox series. How many books will there be in the series? So far, I have two that are completed. The second one, uh, I went after people who read the first one and said they disagreed for this reason or for that reason. And I looked up different other theories online to see what people said. And so I took those, uh, not contradictions, but those alternate theories, and I analyzed them biblically and theologically and took them apart and and showed why they weren't right. They only had a superficial level of support biblically. Whereas mine at this point, I have with the second book and not not even counting what's in the third, I've got at least 1200 to almost 2000 passages of five dozen biblical types and patterns. And it just keeps mounting. I'm stunned that there's this, there's this much evidence. And even one of the reviewers had uh, gave it a positive review, explaining that he was surprised at the amount of corroborating evidence that I was able to bring together. This is just so fascinating. I, I can't, the, the way that you have described how this has all worked and the way that you've described the inspiration that caused this to happen. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And the whole idea behind the book is just so interesting. I know that we have at least tickled the brains of the people who are listening to our conversation right now, DB, and they're saying to themselves, where can I find a copy of this book? So how about we tell them? It's really simple. You just go to Amazon. Now, let me give you titles and let me give you names so that you can find the book. If you've never used Amazon, it's really simple. All you have to do is put www.amazon in your search feature at the top of, of your computer and click on it, and it'll take you right to the home page for Amazon. Now, what you're looking for is a big, empty, sort of a gray box that's a long rectangle. In that box... Here's the title of the book, The Sin Paradox, P-A-R-A-D-O-X, colon, The Case Against Adam, comma, Eve, comma, and the Serpent, by D, as in dog, B, as in boy, Evans, E-V-A-N-S. Put that in your search feature, click on it, and the book will come right up. You look in the upper right-hand corner. And there are two words that are important there. They say, look here. 
If you click on those two words, the book will open electronically, and you'll be able to see the, the whole table of contents, and then you'll be able to read an excerpt from the book. Now, D.B., some people don't want to go to Amazon because they perhaps don't want to buy books from Amazon or they're a little intimidated by Amazon. Where else might they be able to find a copy of the book, The Sin Paradox? The publishers of it, Life Rich, uh, has a website where you can get it through them, liferich.com, and also Barnes & Noble. If they don't have it, you can order it through them and other mainstream book houses do have it available to them. Some might have it on the shelf. Some might, you might have to order it. But it's out there in the mainstream. And then also the you'll see the links to the other books on Amazon as well. Plus, my website, you'll see the links to it. Let's go ahead and give the listeners your website. It's jmare-productions, and the way to spell that is J-A-M as in Mary, J-A-M-A-E-R-productions.com. And you'll see the links to the books. You'll see reviews of the Sin Paradox. You'll see its sequel, which is there, which is constantly under uh, reconstruction because I'm always coming up with more stuff. And a couple of the other books I've written, one about doing gospel magic, another about how to find God in the things you do. And I have a another book, which I can't wait to finish, but I keep changing it, which is about Moses. Uh, it's There's constantly new books coming out, but all faith-based. Your imagination and your your the inspiration that you're receiving to write these books, I think, is just is so exciting, and I love it that you're calling this the paradox series because that I think that's a perfect name for what you're talking about. Now, when the listeners become readers and they buy a copy of the book, whether it's an electronic copy or a physical copy, and they sit down with the book and they read it. Probably not in one sitting. This, to me, seems like a book that I would read and I would have to think about before I read some more. So they will read the book from cover to cover. When they close that back cover, either electronically or physically, for the last time, for you, what is the main thing that you would like for that person to take away from the book? God will answer your questions. A lot of people will read the book or read the Bible, not uh, understanding it and having questions about what does God mean here? What does God mean there? Ask the question. God gave you a brain. It's like in the show, Inherit the Wind. Uh, God gave us a brain. It's what makes us different than all the other creatures. Question, ask. I think it was Thomas Jefferson that said that God must more prefer the our ability to reason than just blind faith so question god ask him to answer the question and then just keep reading just keep reading the book reading the bible and you'll one day you might suddenly come across the answer it might be from somebody you hear on television might be from a passage in the bible from another book or it just could be from a single whispered word to your soul in the middle of the night that causes you to have a great revelation of understanding of something. Wow. You never know where that inspiration will come from. Wow. 
This has just been so interesting. It's been great talking about you. Thank you for being our guest today on Books on Air. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's, I love discussing this book, and the Bible is probably my favorite topic of discussion and why I get in so much trouble, because everybody says, don't talk religion or politics. <laughs> I can, I, I'll tell you the truth. I can hear the passion in your voice, and I suspect that every one of our listeners can also hear the passion in your voice. And that, to me, is one of the most important things about an author, is to hear the passion about their work and the way that you're doing the research and the way that you're putting together. Good luck with your future books, and I hope that you and I will be able to talk again. That would be great. Remember, listeners, The Sin Paradox by D.B. Evans on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope that you'll join me for our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you really never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.